house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I actually brought you a really nice bottle of vodka. What kind? We need his husband. I'm not a stalker. I mean, not in the traditional sense. You know, you just could have said you wanted to come over. Yeah, but what's the fun in that? Wait. What are you doing? He doesn't even like you. I know about your accident. I can't save you. I could barely save myself and my kid. I'm not asking you to. Hello, happy Thanksgiving, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast romancing you with kite flying and Voltaire quotes. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I am here with my co-host, Perhaps he's maybe my strangely unexplained imaginary friend, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Hello, Joseph. Are you here with us or just with me? Are you on a flotation device in a pool? I am here. I am not going to try and goad you into any kind of uh, self-harm or anything like that. I could use... You have brought me a cake, though. I was going to say, I feel, I'm feeling snacky. I'm feeling you kind of... pastries. A, yeah, something in the pastry variety, something in the dessert aisle... If I haven't already given it up for you this week, we aren't bringing over pie for Thanksgiving. We are instead giving you Cake, the 2014 independent film starring Jennifer Aniston as a woman suffering chronic pain of both body and spirit. Um, This film came along in a less competitive Best Actress year and racked up some key nominations for Aniston that made us think she was a sure thing. The Oscar nomination morning proved that to not be true. Joe, how certain were you at the time that we would be having Oscar nominee Jennifer Aniston? I never bought it. I have to say, I know it sounds like bragging after the fact. I never, I, I there was a time I when never it got bought it too. really close to the actual nominations when I started to waver, when I was just like, everybody's so sure that this is going to happen. And I, everybody hated the movie from the get-go. Right. I should probably say at the top, like, this takes over Lions for Lambs for me as oh, your least favorite? the worst wooey movie we've watched. Wow. Yes. A prestigious no, never, uh, distinction. I mean, like, it was really convincing because, like, we've talked about near misses on this podcast several times, but this is definitely the nearest miss. Miss. Or, like, a brush with death, It was basically. definitely, like, uh, to the point where I feel really bad for Jennifer Aniston. And we'll get into yeah. why. I feel bad for her for being in this movie. Well, really. sure. But, like, she is in this movie. It goes through the festival process. And, like, the Oscar buzz accumulates. And... I'm sure that when she made it, there were these, like, maybe, like, glimmers of hope that she tried to tamp down of, like, maybe this is my Oscar movie. Because, like, she had gone through this before with on a much smaller and more limited degree with The Good Girl, right? Where, like, there was buzz around The Good Girl. That's a movie we could do at some point on this podcast. Um, got the Independent Spirit Award nomination and all of that stuff. And, but that sort of hit its wall 
of, you know, too small, too weird, too whatever, early enough in that Oscar season that, like, by the time Oscar morning, Oscar nomination morning happened, nobody was expecting Jennifer Aniston's name to be called. But, like, yeah, this it, time... The process of being nominated for all of the big prizes, Globes, Critics' Choice... SAG. Um, Globe SAG. and SAG is really the thing. That's the, the knife in the gut. Because then, when you get both of those, it must be very, very hard to be like, oh, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? And you try and, like, I'm sure you try and, like, steal yourself. And but, like, I do not think that you are post non-nomination bragging because I was with you to the point that it's like when this movie actually got a wider release, I was like, I am not seeing this movie until I have to because I don't buy that it's happening. Everybody talked about how bad the movie was. I'm I could go back and check myself and maybe I was wrong, but I'm pretty sure I actually did call the surprise Marion Cotillard nomination that year for. What is that movie called? Two days, one night? Six days, seven nights? Yes. Nine, <laughs> nine and a half weeks? Something. The nominee is Anne Heche. Six days, seven nights. If only. Um, Anne Heche should have been nominated for something in her career. I'm just going to throw that down. I don't birth. know what. Wag the dog, I guess. Something. Birth. She oh. Been nominated for birth. You know, that's not a bad one. So before we really get into it, because we have a lot to talk about with this Best Actress year, a lot to talk about with Jennifer Aniston, Joe, would you give our kind listeners, probably like either avoiding their family with some pumpkin pie and we're in their earbuds Mm -hmm. or not, you know, they're on their commute, whatever, with a 60-second plot description of the film Cake Sure. You tell me when I'm on the clock. You, if you are ready, your 60-second plot description starts now. Okay, so Jennifer Aniston plays a woman named Claire Bennett, not the woman from Heroes, but, like, another Claire Bennett, who was a lawyer. She had a terrible car accident. We find out through, like, dribs and drabs. There was a terrible car accident. She had a son. He was killed. And now she is left sort of this broken woman. Her marriage has ended. She has all these scars, and she has chronic pain. Um, Her method of dealing with it is primarily being a raging C-word to everybody in her life, Um, including her uh, chronic pain support group, who was just uh, experienced a massive loss in that uh, the one woman, Nina, 30 seconds. played by Anna Kendrick, uh, has killed herself, and Jennifer Aniston has alienated the support group to the point where they're like, don't come around here no more. So uh, Claire's only outlet is her housekeeper, Silvana, played by Adriana Barraza, who was like, wonderful but like is the tough love she needs in her life and she takes her to tijuana and gets her pain pills she keeps trying to scam pain pills and then she meets sam worthington who is nina's ex and they like have a thing but it's like is jennifer aniston gonna like choose to live or choose to die and what's gonna happen and then there's a cake time oh god i spent a lot of time on that chronic pain group (laughs) yeah which is literally the first scene of the movie before they boot her out i know i do that a lot which Okay, so that was kind of, that is like the perfect first scene for what this movie is because it kind of lays out everything that is like a movie that I love. Like I love movies about finger quotes, difficult women and like (laughs) caustic humor. And it's like, it's neither funny nor interesting the way yeah. that she kind of dismisses the grief of this group. Right. Where she, like, grossly, like, 
labors out all of the things that went wrong with this suicide. So we should say, too, this was a script by Patrick Tobin. This was a Blacklist script by Patrick Tobin. The film was directed by Daniel Barnes, who directed Won't Back Down, the the politically, let's say, interesting uh, teacher (laughs) union or not movie. Which we should definitely talk about. Sure, with Viola Davis and Maggie Gyllenhaal, which I maybe like. And then he did Beastly in 2011, the movie with Magic Mike. What's his name? Not James Purefoy. Alex Pettifer. Alex Pettifer, yeah. And Mary-Kate Olsen and other people. But that was also about Scars, which I think is very interesting, that this guy is like very drawn to Scars movies for whatever reason. And like weirdly enough- He's like the only fan of Alison Irohita's (laughs) post-American Idol song, Scars. (laughs) Exactly. He also really, really was affected by the Kenneth Branagh- Frankenstein movie with De Niro, which was like very, very scars forward. Like that, I feel like the only thing I remember about that movie is like De Niro had like very, very like the scars were front and center in that movie. That movie is the heterosexual best friend of Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> oh my god, that's not like even the only best way you friend. Describe that movie. Like the heterosexual like, stepbrother who like they don't get along. The heterosexual lab partner. <laughs> Yes. And they never fully get on board with each other. Absolutely true. Um, So anyway, the funny thing is, like, neither Barnes nor Tobin, neither the writer or director of this movie, has really, like, made any follow-ups to Cake. Which is interesting, because, like, this is a movie that, again, was almost a Best Actress nominee. And, like, nominally, like, has okay... I was going through the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and we'll get into this when we talk about why it failed. More fresh tomatoes on this list than maybe some people want to remember. Like, Or I'm, would want to admit. I'm throwing probably. some like I see you eyeballs at some of these people where it's just like, you know what you did. You know you were part of this. Like, Because, so, um, well, actually, let's, let's get into this chronologically. I'll get into why cake. <laughs> why cake? Just as a sentence. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But first, let's talk about why Jennifer Aniston, because I think this is an actress who has a very interesting career arc and one where it doesn't quite follow what people thought it was going to be. And yet it hasn't taken any steps to step outside of that arc either. It's very odd. Yeah. She was sort of a journey, like a journeywoman actress up until Friends, where she was just sort of like failed pilots and what have you. She was, of course, the daughter of John Anison, who was like a big major soap opera actor. He's been on Days of Our Lives for like decades. One of the like, you know, old guards of this soap opera. So she grew up kind of within a acting Hollywood family, although, like, there's, like, her Wikipedia page is, like, she wasn't allowed to watch television as a child. She's like, okay, they're, like, those stories are such a diamond does. And I watched the Jane Fonda documentary on HBO last night, and it was that kind of thing. It was just, like, I was a Hollywood child, but I, like, played in the hills in Santa Monica. I was like, all right, Jane, like, I get it, you know? Right. You were different. You weren't, like, <laughs> you weren't a Hollywood brat, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah. it's still, like, Jennifer went to, like, the LaGuardia Performing Arts School. Like, it's all this sort of, you know, stuff. Um, Friends comes along in 1994. Her career blows up. She's, you know, she's got the haircut. She's got Rachel and Ross. She's a sensation. And, like, of the Friends cast, I remember at the time, more so the women, because the men, I think everybody realized, was just sort of like, 
they'll do what they'll do. But I remember there was a lot of talk at the time about like Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, what sort of buckets of fame will we place them in when they all inevitably either move on from friends or branch out into movie careers. And Kudrow was obviously always going to be the more quirky indie. She had the opposite of sex. She had, um, like, she would do mainstream movies, too. She did, like, Hanging Up yeah. and, and Analyze This and stuff like that. Romeo and Michelle. Right. But even, Ro- okay, but even Romeo and Michelle, though, is... Is an oddity. A, an oddity. An oddity among mainstream comedies, and that's why it's become such a, like, cult favorite. And so I think that I almost put in the same bucket as The Opposite of Sex. The Opposite of Sex, which, like, she had more adjacent Oscar buzz than people remember for that movie. Where, like, she was always yes. on, like, long lists that made it to, like, 10 or 12 people. Anyway... Courtney Cox was the one who had the Scream franchise. So at the very least, she we knew that she had, like, you know, profitability in her corner. And she ultimately ended up doing a lot more TV, Cougar Town and Dirt and things like that. But I think the Scream franchise was that sort of, like, gold coin in her pocket, right? Jennifer Aniston yes. was the career that always needed the most, like, care because they were trying to walk that really, really high wire with her where they wanted her to be Julia Roberts, essentially, as so many actresses' management teams have wanted their actresses to be over the years. And so her career kind of reflects that, where she's in, what was that Kevin Bacon movie she was in very, very early on in her career? Uh, Picture Perfect. Picture Perfect, right. So, like, while she's on Friends, she's in Picture Perfect. She's in... The Object of My Affection. Object of My Affection, which I, you know, have such side-eye for in terms of its premise, but, like was very likable, was very, you know, popular, even down to, like, being the the mom's voice in The Iron Giant. And she's, like, she plays the, Office like... Space. What's that? Office Space. Office Space, exactly. That's a success. She plays the, like, thankless woman role, but, like, she's in them in, like, big hits like Bruce Almighty. Um, I think Along Came Polly was a decent-sized hit. And then at some point, well, she makes The Good Girl in 2002, and that was her little, like, stab at cred right and it like worked to a point and then it, she wasn't really allowed to like revisit that a whole often she does like friends with money in 2006 and that's another one she has these little like pockets of indie sort of adventurousness but mostly she's in marley and me she's in rumor has it which like we have to do on this like, show because like that is the such... late 2000s she got raunchy and did like Horrible bosses. And what was that Jason Sudeikis movie? We Are the Millers? Sure. Yes. Uh, Office Christmas Party. Right. It's like that that uh, side of her. which She's is just like, like working against like the Julia Roberts of it all, where she's supposed to be a sweetheart, and now she's playing like a sex hound. It's that... Or like some version of where it's like, we're going to make her oversexed. It's a kind of or, a like, role that her. like Allison Janney does well, but like... You know, I don't know if necessarily, like, Aniston is able to pull it off. And so now, and of course, through all of this, her personal life is becoming the story and has become the story. She gets together with Brad Pitt, and that is, like, the big Hollywood A-list couple, which is very interesting because every time you see them, they look like they've just emerged from a cloud of weed smoke. Like, they so never looked, like, Brad and Gwyneth looked the part, and I think that was very much, like, a Gwyneth thing, of... They hit the red carpet. They were picture perfect. That was like Brad's most like, you know, bottled up sort of era in terms of his look, right? He looked like a Ken right. doll and he was 
adorable. Frosted tips, all of it. All of it. God, like, bring me back to that era, please. Like, we were all so much more innocent in 1995. So, but Aniston and Pitt never really seemed to be the, like, you know, in-style magazine, come-into-our-home kind of couple. They always just sort of looked like... I remember the one award speech. She won an Emmy or a Golden Globe for Friends. That was when finally, like, she was starting to get elevated up to, like, Best Actress nominee. Because originally all the Friends were, like, we're all going to submit. Supporting. supporting. Yeah. And the one speech she gives where she's just, like, she's thanking Brad Pitt. And she just sort of points him out and she's just like, you, man. You're, like, you're my rock, man. And I just, like, I remember her calling him man. Brad Pitt, I love you, and I thank you for holding me together, man. And I was just like, you guys just smoke so much. And, like, (laughs) but everybody really loved them because she was the most beautiful woman on TV, and he was the most beautiful man in the movies, and it worked. And it felt like that's what it was supposed to be. And so then the Angelina thing happened, and everybody's paradigms shift. Not Angelina, because Angelina was always going to be, like, the vampy woman. Although even her paradigm eventually shifted, but that took a while. Brad was sort of like the wayward penis, and Jennifer became the sad, you know, whatever. I remember reading a John uh, Irving book one time, I think it was Garp, and they mention in it where, like, there's no word for a female cuckold. Like, there's no word for a woman whose husband you know, cheats on her because it happens all the time. Um, It's so common as to like not even need a word. And I was like, that's, you know, I always think of that when I think of like women who have been like spurned, but like that became her identity was sad Jen. Sad Jen wants a baby. Sad Jen can't get over Brad. Sad Jen hates Angelina. All this sort and of stuff. And I don't understand, like, I understand when people don't find Jennifer Aniston interesting. That's fine. I don't understand where or when or not even why there's become this like anti-Aniston thing in the air. I honestly feel like it's a backlash against People Magazine and Us Weekly because I think just people stopped, they resented having to feel sorry for this woman all the time, which is what these magazines were demanding that you do. And I honestly don't think it's anything about Jennifer. I think it's a reaction against... The coverage and maybe part of that coverage was engineered by people on her team who thought like her being the victim was going to make people like her better and help her career ultimately but like right. it didn't work it just meant that like we you know we ultimately didn't really have any kind of positive view of her and i don't know that coinciding with like movies she's in like the Bounty Hunter, The Switch, um, the one with Vince Vaughn. Right, where these movies that up. don't succeed and... And don't really put her like, character in this sort of, like, they're always like, she's with a jerk. She's, you know, she's with, yeah. she's breaking up with Vince Vaughn, like this kind of thing. And it's like, nothing that makes you want to, like, invest in that character, because it's just like, God, nothing good is happening to this woman. And I think at the same time, you see Aniston herself wanting to break out and do a lot more like either straight up comedy like Wanderlust I think is a movie that if you want to look at like the positive side of that I think Wanderlust is a movie that she's good in that is a good movie that is maybe her being like I don't want to do like romantic comedy Gerard Butler crap I want to do like comedies where like I can be silly as you know as long along with everybody else right and I think then Cake is the other hand of that which is that, like, I want to show 
that I can be a serious actress. You know, Bullock's been able to do it. Um, Julia's been able to do it. Reese has been able to do it. My Siri just turned on my phone and literally is like, who do you want to know about actresses who are able to do it? I'm just like, shut up, Siri, (laughs) shut up. There is the thing, and we've sort of discussed this before, in that, like, if you ever in any way are interpreted as a tryhard, people want to destroy you. (laughs) And Yeah, don't ever show that you want it. I feel like Jennifer Aniston is a little unfairly... I think it's always unfair when people do that, but I think she's a little unfairly punished for this specifically because I don't think that she's a tryhard. I think she just wants to do something different and especially when it's like look at the litany of movies you just listed where it's like none of it's very interesting if she wants to try to finally do something that strays outside of that in any way like that's fine that's normal that's not like her trying to shove something down your throat like if anything she seems more reticent yeah with like the attention I really wish a movie like Friends with Money had been able to do better because I feel like that would have been an interesting avenue to pursue there because like, yeah, the good girl, I have complicated feelings about. I sort of, that kind of, there's the Mike White that I love. And then there's the Mike White that's sort of like the Mike White, Miguel Arteta sort of thing that sometimes feels a little miserablest to me. And the good girl kind of felt that way a little bit to me. And like cake kind of dovetails with that. Both of those movies are essentially Look at this woman who you you normally think of as having this like bright light who gets by on her personality, who is like so loved, and we're just gonna like weigh her down with like in the good girl, it was depression and make like eye makeup. Although actually that was Dishanel who had the heavy eye makeup. But like whatever, just like we're just gonna make her sad. Good girl is just gonna yeah. be sad. And like cake, we're just gonna make her sad and mean and grieving and in pain and just like and that is the essence That's of the drama. Woman. Yeah. It's like this is how you know that this is a drama is because all these terrible things, dead son, chronic pain, suicide adjacent, dead marriage, like all of this. And Cake just to me comes across as like the most cynical way of of doing that. And I think it's a cynical movie with or without Jennifer Aniston. But I think the combination Well, because of... I think she's a little removed from it. Because I think she's fine in the movie. I do th- like, I think so too. This movie in actually... so many ways Yeah. She like none of this falls on the cast right. because in so many ways, especially with the cast, to the point you have William H. Macy showing up for two seconds to be like the person who accidentally hit her and her son and like caused all of it and he like literally just shows up to say i'm sorry i just wanted to tell you i'm sorry fulfilling the philium h muffman uh (laughs) double double bill as all good movies do both felicity let me tell you if they put felicity huffman in glasses you are in trouble (laughs) um but like this everything about this movie just plays like a circle of like friends of friends who have had favors called in to be in this movie. Yeah. Even Jennifer Aniston to the point where it's, you can see why, well, let me try to do something different and maybe help 
without a friend. I don't know. That's just what it read to me like. It also read to me that Jennifer Aniston was essentially like Sandra Bullock's character from Crash getting her own spinoff. Yeah. Because this movie is pretty freaking racist. <laughs> like, yes. gross. I mean, yes. In, to the point that it thinks like her racism is funny. And it's not funny. I mean, we can have the argument over whether, like, is this character more racist than she is selfish? But I feel like, I think you're right in that ultimately it's a movie that relies on this sort of pat. Like, isn't she a good person for being nice to her Hispanic maid? Like, the one time? Like, isn't this a great journey for her? And, like, in that way, I think the movie is at the very least racially pandering, which is not isn't she? Isn't she, like, growing so much by simply just not being awful? Like, even though you don't know anything about her besides how she's just horrible to people and is sad. Yeah. But I think that's the movie's problem, you know all through across the board and the movie's other problem i think is that it introduces this sam worthington character as anna kendrick's you know surviving husband her widower and he needs to shoulder a lot of the sort of hopefulness of the second half of the movie which is there's a way out for claire and that is human connection and she could connect with this guy but as with Almost all Sam Worthington performances, it is such a fucking dud that like yeah. you can't invest. It's like the philo dough of performance. It's just like very thin. <laughs> like no, because you like have he... to work hard on philo dough. You have to like flatten and fold and flatten and fold, and that's like a process. Sam Worthington has never worked that hard on anything. Sam Worthington is a rely on pretty actor if I've ever seen one. He's not even pretty. It's just jaw. It is. <laughs> well, okay. So the other thing, is, like, I, I would, I would buckle against this a little bit, even though, like, you're right. But also, it's not his fault that the character is also really asinine, just like everything else in this movie. Because, like, she tricks him into, like, she basically just like ingratiates herself to him through a lie that he knows about. And, like, he's a grieving husband struggling to raise his child. And she just shows up like a crazy person. He's like, sure, fine. Like, I don't understand how he's supposed to do something interesting with this nonsense. But, like, I don't know. That's fair. But I I think... To the point that Jennifer Aniston does. Like, I don't think she's great or should have landed that nomination. But, like... She gives a good performance. She kind of confuses... She at least makes up for what the script lacks yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. that, like, you can kind of forget how, like, thinly drawn this character is I was, because she's somewhat interesting to watch. I was watching this movie yesterday, and I texted you at one point. I was like, oh, crap, this movie's starting to get me. And it was the part towards the end where she she and Silvana go to a drive-in in Riverside because that's the drive-in where she and her husband first went on their first date, and it's closing soon. And she sort of sneaks away from the car and sneaks through a fence and goes to some train tracks. And then the the ghost of Anna Kendrick once again visits her and tries to goad her into killing herself. And she just sort of has this monologue where she talks about, like, the things from her life that she'll miss as, like, to have, like, a good last thought or whatever. But she builds up to ultimately saying, like, I was a good mother. And I feel like I think that whole scene that whole like those line deliveries 
really worked for me. And I think she's, I think that's where I'm just like, this is a good performance. I don't think I would have come close to nominating it. And of course it's a good performance in a bad movie, but not in a way that like elevates it. Like I think Sandra Bullock in the blind She doesn't elevate the movie, but like she, like, yeah, I, I, and picking up what you're putting. Sandra Bullock in the Blind Side is what I always think of when I think of like a bad movie that is, if not rescued, then at the very least elevated by the star power of its main actress. And yeah. this movie just is not that, and it never does. And every time some recognizable face shows up in this movie, which like this movie has a cast, where all of a sudden it's just like, and there's Mamie Gummer, and there's Lucy Punch, and there's Chris Messina. And Chris Messina. And um, we mentioned Felicity Huffman and William H. Macy, but just like it really is just like a caravan. And let's, like Anna Kendrick being in this movie at all is kind of like insane and funny. So, so then this, this movie... This is an abysmal movie. What's that? It's like, it, it's just, it's, yeah. Yeah. So this movie then shows up at the Toronto Film Festival in 2014. It's the first place it shows up. And is not one of the, like, top heralded, like, nobody was anticipating this movie. Um, but it starts to get a little bit of word of mouth and that like do you hear people are talking about this jennifer aniston movie and a lot of the initial reactions are really bad but like here's one that i found that i feel like if this was not the prime mover of the oscar buzz this was at least like reflected why people started talking about is jennifer aniston going to get a nomination this year so this was right after the toronto premiere in deadline um Pete Hammond, old reliable Pete Hammond, who is like the blurb whore of all blurb whores. Like if you need somebody to be your hype man for whatever kind Call of something sensational. Right, exactly. So I feel like already that he's the one sort of leading this charge makes this a little suspect and makes me wonder like which publicist was in his ear, you know, first about whatever but like fully like goes over the top he mentions in his first paragraph uh it goes jennifer aniston oscar contender you better believe it after the tumultuous standing ovation she received at the elgin theater on monday afternoon for her potentially career-changing film cake after the credits had rolled okay several things to go there first of all that it was a monday afternoon premiere is like tells you the starting point of where this movie was starting like this was not a gala. This was a Monday afternoon premiere. Second of all, tumultuous standing ovation is a weird way to describe a standing ovation. <laughs> Second of all, the people that showed up to the screening showed up probably because Jennifer Aniston would be there and they are already fans of her and every famous person that goes to Toronto gets a standing that, ovation. Well, this is, that's my third point. Like, of course, Jennifer Aniston got a standing ovation at the Monday afternoon screening at TIFF. Like, of course she did. Like, standing ovations are par for the course. You cannot tell me that you, you know, can point to a standing ovation and be like, well, there you have it. Jennifer Aniston is going to get an Oscar nomination. But, like, Hammond was fully, like, on a mission. He said, he mentioned that this should be Aniston's Monster or Monster's Ball or even Dallas Buyers Club. (laughs) Just, like, just keep throwing out examples. Just, like, whatever you want. But I think, ultimately, it was... Oh, she's got these scars. It was both the... She didn't wash her hair. Right, exactly. It's the severe de-glam trend that we talk about when we talk so about, insidious. like, beautiful actresses really, like, 
you know, it's the vanity free performance and all that, which I think is so first funny. First of all, it should be said she still looks beautiful in this movie. Of course she does. Like it's ridiculous. Beautiful enough to like lure the pool boy over just, you know, for a little romp in the in the sack in the beginning of the movie to show like yeah. how how low she's gone that like oh no oh no she would lower she herself to have sex with touch. this wildly hot pool boy like okay uh, you, we should also say that like even at the time that it premiered and i think the toronto thing is incredibly crucial here and interesting to talk about in the context of this year which we'll get into but it was already considered a very weak best actress year yeah certainly at the very least there was no Thin. going into the like, fall there was no front runner where the only things that had premiered i don't think anything had premiered by the in the first 8 months of the year that people were like oh yeah this is going to happen we're like the eventual nominees that year are Reese Witherspoon Wild which doesn't start till the fall festivals also got a standing ovation at TIFF that year so like take that um yeah. Imitation Game, Felicity Jones was nominated that year. Uh, also at TIFF. Also at TIFF. Um, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl. Which, okay, that... Which was one of the ones we were anticipating. Also, yes. I mean... Well, and incorrect that there wasn't somebody yet that we hadn't seen because Two Days, One Night was at Cannes. Right. But nobody thought... Um, this, see, this was... Okay, this was the Marion Cotillard... It was Cotillard. like a foreign film. It's very... Um, She's dealing with an extreme depression in the movie, so it's it's a heavy sit for that movie. Um, it's also by the Darden brothers, and their movies are very modest. That movie's very modest. It was released by IFC slash Sundance Selects, which they don't really have a huge infrastructure to support awards campaigns. Yeah, but the narrative behind Marion Cotillard is also very interesting that year, because that was also the year that she was in The, Im- uh, the Immigrant. Why don't you talk about The Immigrant? I love The Immigrant. The Immigrant is great. Um, The Immigrant was finally released after... It was kind of dumped by the Weinstein Co. um, after a Cannes debut. Um, It's directed by James Gray. Very austere. Um, So it's like you kind of have these two tough plays for Marion Cotillard that kind of became the critical, like rallying point for some people um and it was two days one night that kind of benefited from that um probably largely because they had a studio behind it whereas weinstein company was willing to just kind of forget that the immigrant even happened there was a lot of justice for marion cotillard among critics that year where it's just like vote for marion cotillard to spite harvey weinstein vote for marion cotillard to support you know an actress whose film got buried you know a vote for Marion Cotillard is a, a lot vote of for James up. Gray, a vote for, you know, whatever. And yeah. ultimately, and, I think I mean, it's like, funny that it's Two Days, One Night that got the nomination and not The Immigrant, which, because, like, people were getting kind of strident and annoying about that, too. Maybe partially it's that I don't love The Immigrant. I don't think it's that good of a movie. Um, I'll see. I like it. But the rally I cry will, for I, that became pretty strong, and I think that's what ultimately pushed Cotillard into the field ahead of Aniston or someone like... Amy Adams for Big Eyes, who won the Golden Globe that year, which is still very stupid and silly and funny. A movie that people really don't like. No. um, Because it's terrible. We should also note 
Reese Witherspoon like we were anticipating that but like the air in the conversation was already like well they're not going to give it to her again already right so it was like that performance which is really great and could potentially be my winner for that year it, it was like never really Reese Witherspoon it wasn't taken as seriously as much as it should have been it was more of kind of taken for granted Reese Witherspoon and Wild did not get the respect that they deserved that year um just across the board it's honestly fully shameful that the only nominations that that movie got were actress and supporting actress when so much about that movie it's so good it's such an accomplishment it's it's the fact that like reese got that movie put together i think and ultimately the praise that reese ended up deserving for wild she got a lot of that for Big Little Lies. So I feel like ultimately, you know, justice was served. But everything that people said about Witherspoon on Big Little Lies in terms of like putting this project together, working with Jean-Marc Vallée, um, you know, the kind of performance she gave, the kind of, you know, producer she is and how she's looking out for good material and yada, 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 everything that was said about her positively in re- in relation to Big Little Lies also applies to Wild, and that should have been a Best Picture nominee. And ugh, still drives me crazy. Is that that on that? That's, that's that on that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that on that. Um, I before we get into our very exciting and wonderful and illustrious winner of the year, we should mention Felicity Jones, which is probably. I think handily the least interesting performance of the lineup, even though I think she's good. Yes. There's this, I think it speaks to the kind of jockeying and maneuverability of the Oscar season, her performance being in lead because there was discussion initially that she would be considered supporting. Right. And this best actress lineup was so thin and like not very deeply benched that they put her in, they started campaigning her for actress, and she had smooth sailing to the nomination. To the point where when um, the Danish girl comes out the next year, and Alicia Vikander playing a pretty similar role in terms of, like, the wife, how will she handle this? Um, the wife of Eddie Redmayne. Right. and But ultimately, I think the Danish girl... Vikander is much more of a lead and a protagonist in that movie than Felicity Jones is in Theory of Everything. And so I think when that movie came out and the Oscar buzz for that movie started, people were like, oh, okay, so Alicia Vikander will go and lead. And that's just sort of like, that's that on that. And that she ultimately then backslid that year and went into supporting and won, I think is all the more frustrating because the year before we had seen Felicity Jones go the other way, go the other route. Yeah. Which brings us to the winner, Julianne Moore, which is like (laughs) the opposite side of the mirror of Jennifer Aniston and cake in so many ways. The gallant to cakes. Goofus is still Alice. Yeah. They both premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival that year, neither with distribution, and suddenly were both immediately thrust into the Oscar race. Neither one of I them so had any in- kind of momentum or, or word of mouth going into that festival, and both of them ultimately... 
there was this little sort of like whisper campaign about like, have you heard? Like, you know, re, you know, Julianne Moore has this movie and she's supposed to be pretty good in it. And that was a movie I, I didn't see Cake until far after Toronto. I, I had too many other things going on. But I saw Still Alice at Toronto that year. And that was one where as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is it. She's going to win. She's finally going to win the Oscar, both because the performance is so strong. I actually really like that movie, Still Alice. I think I yeah. like that movie. We're both on the record of loving that movie across the board. Yeah. For the um, and also, you then thought of the year as a whole and just like, oh, the field is wide open. Of course, this is going to be Julianne Moore's year as soon as you saw that movie. So, like, that was everything that happened to that movie is, I think, what jennifer aniston and her team wanted to be the case for cake and ultimately i think that it happened for still alice and not for cake gives me makes me feel like it's it's sometimes sometimes quality matters sometimes execution matters and it's not just what's going to make the best story even though julianne moore still made a really good story and that it doesn't work for anybody because it was a great story for Jennifer Aniston to finally get her first Oscar nomination for cake. It would have been great for her. And I love Jennifer Aniston, the the actress. So, you know, good for her. And yet like, I'm glad it didn't happen for cake. I'm glad if it's going to happen, that it'll happen for something good. Yeah. And I think another interesting thing that we can maybe bring up and talk about is because this happened with both of these movies. It wasn't just that they like you have the Oscar winner for the category and the big snubby for the category. I kind of hate the word snub, but like what else are you going to call Jennifer Aniston? They both were also movies with qualifying runs, which isn't really a thing anymore, but like they used to be. Yeah, it's getting harder and and harder to release something at the very, very end of the year and feel like you have enough time to create the groundswell for it. I think we've seen enough yeah. in the last two or three it's years dubious. where it's failed that like I think we're getting away from it a little bit now. Yeah. It is dubious. It's always like you're trying to sneak something past somebody. You're trying to, you know, sort of like tiptoe in at the last minute and be the last you just like dump it in a theater for a week so that it's technically eligible and then you don't release it until after the new year right and it's it's still just interesting to me that that was probably because this is in the like the tide was turning of like that being an acceptable practice it's interesting that that is another shade to the julianne moore win jennifer aniston no nomination story i think yeah, I think that's true. And, like, an interesting factor for, like, some of the movies we might be talking about in the future. Because a lot of these, like, the qualifying runs, it's... Still, Alice is probably the best case scenario for success not talking about a foreign language movie. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's right. And it's interesting that this also had, like, the foreign language film, you know, Two Days, One Night, also, you know, worked this year, too. But I think yeah. this was the last sort of, like quote-unquote weak year for Best Actress. I think we've seen, like, really robust Best Actress fields every year since then. 2015, 2016, 2017. Like, they've all been really strong. And I always say with, like, the caveat... It'll be interesting in, like, the next month or so for it to solidify because there, I think there's a lot of, like, maybe it could happen type things. Like, is Widows going to make enough money 
for like Viola Davis to be able to get in. That's an interesting one to me, the Viola Davis thing, because she's great in it. The movie's great, and I think the movie's going to make a lot of money. And yet, she always seems to be on these lists of best actress contenders, sort of perfunctorily, like, you know we need to have her on the long list. But I don't think there's a whole lot of, oh yeah, like Viola Davis gives the best performance by an actress this year, where you're getting that for, I think, a lot of the other contenders. You're getting that for Lady Gaga. You're getting that for Glenn Close. Carrie Mulligan. You're getting that for Carrie Mulligan. You're getting that for, you know. Tony Collette. Yeah, yes. Even uh, Yalitza Aparicio has a lot of fans. Yes, this is what I mean. And this is why I sort of... I'm concerned that Viola's not going to get nominated, which I think she should, because I do think she gives one of the best performances of the year. But I also feel like it's right that Viola Davis should be the kind of movie star who stars in a movie, like, is the guiding force for that movie on screen, carries the movie, and thus gets the Best Actress nomination in a way that, like, an actor would. In a way that, like, right. Tom Hanks did for Saving Private Ryan. Do you know what I mean? Tom Hanks isn't yeah. bad in Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks is very good in Saving Private Ryan. Is it the best work of his career? No. Was he the best no. actor of anybody that year? No. But he is a movie star who is carrying a Best Picture caliber movie. And for that reason, he's getting a nomination. And that's sort of how I feel about Viola Davis this year. Yeah. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think she's in? I think the intro. Well, uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's tough. I think the interesting thing you brought up is you don't hear people. And maybe this is an indicator for like cases like Jennifer Aniston that we should not be so surprised when they don't get nominated is like, how loud are your champions? Like, yeah. who's excited about what you're doing? Or are you more of an also-ran? Yeah. Because especially when the timelines change, there's something about Oscar that, like, the Marion Cotillard in two days, one night of it all, is that, like, Oscar is a little... I don't want to say reactionary to other things, but their voting period happens after a lot of the other big prizes happen, right? Yeah. So it's like... If you have people voting and they're like catching up to all these movies that they're seeing nominated elsewhere and they're watching something like Cake and they're not excited about it, they're going to vote for the thing that excites them. Yeah. yeah. So, so that yeah. year, the precursors start happening. And of course, like nobody gives Jennifer Aniston anything in the Critics Awards phase of the game. But Golden Globe nominations come out. She's a nominee for Best Actress in a Drama. Screen Actors Guild nominations come out. She is one of the five actresses for nominated for lead actress. And like you talk about the Broadcast Film Critics Association where she gets nominated for a critics choice for best actress because I know you had uh, some thoughts. Well, I have some thoughts because first of all Marion Cotillard was nominated alongside them because they had six nominees. So that was an indication of They're like so you mentioned some of the critical thirsty. support for it, Good but like Lord. she wasn't that outside of the conversation yeah. that it was too much of a shock. Um no, okay. So we've talked about how it's kind of a weak bench. Probably the one who was 
arguably as close as Jennifer Aniston, maybe not as close because people hated the movie, was Amy Adams for Big Eyes. But if you look at the Critics' Choice nominees for Actress in a Comedy, that gives you a bench right there of people who like would probably be on my ballot, some of them. Uh, you have the winner, Jenny Slate for Obvious Child. Yes. Great performance. Kristen Wiig for Skeleton Twins. Great movie. Melissa McCarthy for St. Vincent. Bad movie. Probably the best performance in a bad movie. And it's Melissa McCarthy. We're not going to shit on Melissa McCarthy. Uh, Rosario Dawson, who we've talked about how we love for top five. I love that performance. She would probably be very close to my ballot because that's like the type of romantic comedy performance I love. And then underrated even for this performer rose byrne for neighbors yeah rose byrne is so good in neighbors rose byrne that is, is genuinely such a great, great call. in neighbors and that is a great call and i am i am often dumping on the critics choice awards for being thirsty bitches who just want to up their predicting prediction statistics but that's a good category right there, I have to say. This is also the year of Into the Woods, and there was a lot of fans for Emily Blunt that year, yeah. but she also had Edge of Tomorrow slash Live, Die, Repeat, whatever we're calling it these days. That Live, Die, Repeat. Jesus Christ. I hate... That's one of the... like. I have such a pet peeve of that. Like, why... I know Edge of Tomorrow is one of those, like, word salad sort of, like, it sounds intense. It's, it's very, like, marketing-tested titles fine but like live die repeat is so silly i don't know i don't know but great movie great performance i think it goes on the long list of emily blunt deserves better you know right like she's not nominated because the movies that she's being great in don't do enough for her which is crazy because like the Devil Wears Prada did so much for her. I think it all stems from that. If we had just nominated her instead of, like, who that year? Abigail Breslin. Or, like, this is why you listen to gay people. Yeah. Like, or, like, nominate... Honestly, nominate her instead of Kate Blanchett and Notes on a Scandal. I know that, like, that's subtracting gayness to get gayness. But, like, <laughs> because honestly... <laughs> One of like Notes on a Scandal is a great movie. Notes on, or uh, Judy Dench in that movie is great. Kate Blanchett in that movie is fine, but she has the campiest moment in that entire movie where she she like screams with her makeup runs running. out of the house and goes here I am <laughs> to the press. It's so why good and fun and wonderful. <laughs> But, like, Emily Blunt should have been nominated that year. Like, just, you know, just do it. She also, uh, Jennifer Aniston also won one of these weird phantom prizes we've never really talked about before. During, like, the heat of awards campaigns, you have the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Joe, you wanted to talk about this a little bit. Jennifer Aniston won whatever the Montecito Award is at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Tell our listeners what the hell this is. I will. Before we do that, though, I just wanted to... uh, You were talking about people uh, who were not nominated for Best Actress that year. I wanted to throw in a couple that you hadn't mentioned. Oh, give us more. Scarlett Johansson in Under the Skin. Uh, Yes, my pick. Gugu Mbatha-Ra in Beyond the Lights. See, this is what I mean when I say it's it's not a weak Best Actress year. It was a weak field of 
likely nominees. Yeah. Tilda Swinton in there? Only Lovers Left Alive, which is a massively underrated movie that I think is very good. Lindsay Duncan in The Weeknd, which we talked about when we talked about Roger Michelle. And the one I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention, and now it makes me wonder whether I got the release year wrong, Anne Dorval in Mommy. Oh, that is actually this year. I mean, she wasn't... I was just mentioning people who were actually in the conversation, but right. Anne Dorval would be on my ballot. Easy. Like, that's a strong, strong year. For they also have like Elizabeth Moss and the one I love, which like wouldn't have made my top five, but like is a strong runner up for sure. Yeah, anyway, it's a great year for best actress. There's always great years for best actress, actresses are great. There's my TED talk. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which is a topic that comes up often among my friends and I when we talk about award season because there is. There are film festivals like Sundance and Cannes, which happen in the early part of the year and can, you know, bring movies to attention that you wouldn't have thought of before. Then there are the fall festivals, your Tellurides, Toronto's, Venice's, New York's, which are movies that you more so know are coming, but there's still a quality of you're seeing these things for the first time, they're being vetted, they're being, you know examined and and the cream will you know rise to the top and they'll move on into the rest of the award season and then you get your december january film festivals and the the calling card for all of these festivals is that they all happen in these very gorgeous vacation destinations and i know that like can for rich white people right but like can and venice aren't exactly like you know armpits of of towns either but like your Santa Barbara Film Festival, your Capri International Film Festival in Italy, um, your Palm Springs Film Festival. These things, which are are less film festivals in the way that we know them, which is that like, you know, bringing to attention the work of unseen filmmakers and unseen films, and more of a stop on the awards campaign trail where these very glitzy actors get given awards for the films that they're in and the careers that they've had. So Anison gets what is called the Montecito Award, or was called that at the time. Now I think it's just called the Santa Barbara Award. I think they've changed the name. She got, so like, let's go through who gets this award, right? Last year it was Saoirse Ronan. Again, this is supposed to be a career achievement award. Saoirse Ronan last year, all of, you know, whatever, nine years old. Isabelle Huppert, the year before, an actual career achievement award, but of course tied to her Oscar nomination for Elle. Stallone, the year before, was that the year of Creed? Yes, it was. Jennifer Aniston uh, for her cake year. Oprah Winfrey was the year before, the year she's in The Butler. Daniel Day-Lewis, Jeffrey Rush. Is it literally every year and every other year that it's effective? (laughs) It's every year. Every year it's somebody who is a major player in the Oscar race to the point where I'm looking at it and I'm like 2006 Naomi Watts 2006 meaning for the film year 2005 and I'm like what was she in and she and I looked at her IMDb and I was like oh King Kong I was like wow they were trying it and so yeah these are very much like you know in concert with publicists and managements and studios and whatever these are very well orchestrated it's like you look at the Golden Globes and like the DeMille Award, which is their Lifetime Achievement Award. That one isn't generally so tied to, well, who's going to be in something this year, right? Like Streep got it in one of her rare off years. And 
Clooney got it a year that I don't think he had a, a movie on. And those, of course, are also big publicist, studio-driven awards to give out to. But I think the idea of holding a film festival in Santa Barbara every year, that is ultimately where you're just going to serve as an Oscar schmooze event is cynical in a way that like grosses me out about the Oscars. And yet like there are probably a dozen more events like that, that happen every year that I don't even know about. That, yeah. Like, someone is getting, it reminds me you're not a West wing guy, right? I am. I didn't know. So <laughs> there's an episode where, um, the first lady, played by Stocker Channing, is in trouble with the Daughters of the American Revolution because her family was not had a had a history of piracy in its lineage, and so they wanted to like kick her out of the DAR. And to to placate the woman who is causing this rabble, they decide to give her a fake award at this dinner that they want her to come to. And what award? Just make it up. And so there's, you know, Mary Louise Parker and Joshua Molina are this scene. And it ultimately becomes through a series of, you know, pantomime, the Francis Scott Key Key that they're going to give to this woman. And that's what the Santa Barbara National Film Festival reminds me of with these awards is it's like they're just giving out a series of Francis Scott Key keys to these, you know, various famous people who just need a chance to get in front of a room full of people who are either Oscar voters or married to Oscar voters or whatever and, you know, push their chances for getting an award that year. And so that year, Aniston gets the Montecito Award from the Santa Barbara Festival. She is the winner of the Actress Award at the Capri Film Festival. And, you know, on and on it goes. I also feel like that she was nominated for the Gold Derby Awards that year, which, like, sure. Gold Derby is a site that was created to predict the Oscars and that they are now also giving awards is very funny to me. Like, it's very Ouroboros. I don't know if that's an award ceremony thing. I don't think it's a ceremony. I Gold think it's Derby, just like, Or it's just like they have their prizes. It's like I would put a blog post up. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Which also is the Critics' Choice Awards. And the fact that they actually have gotten people to come to that is a work of chutzpah that is... Yeah, I should yeah, probably yeah, tip yeah. my cap to, but... I still just can't get over Imaginary Anna Kendrick visiting upon... <laughs> Jennifer Aniston on a flotation device and being like, hey, suddenly disposed. I'm Anna here. Kendrick in that movie, God bless her. I, it, there are no spiritual explanations for why this is happening other than it's like maybe just psychosis. I don't know. Anna Kendrick isn't good in this movie, but I also feel like I cannot blame her because this character, and I put that in quotation marks, makes so little sense. Like... Right. Is this coming from Aniston? Like, what is what is it trying to get her to do? Is it trying to get her to kill herself? Is it trying to get her to not kill herself? Is it trying to get her to, you know, push her towards the Sam Worthing character? Right. Oh, yeah. So what I ran out of time in the 60 second plot description is another familiar face who shows up in this movie almost towards the end is Britt Robertson, who is a runaway named... Becky, Becky from Boise, Becky from Boise, and she like Becky from Boise, <laughs> hanging out with the boys. <laughs> it will never not be funny. Claire, calm down. But like, she tries to break into Jennifer Aniston's car and gets caught because Jennifer Aniston is always lying down flat in the car because she's traumatized. And 
There's a whole thing with the Anna Kendrick ghost about how her character, Nina, always wanted to be able to, her pain was, her chronic pain always kept her from baking a cake from scratch for her son. And so this becomes this sort of like theme about this, you know, cake. And so Jennifer Aniston's character is like, hey, Britt Robertson, sticky fingers, trying to rob from my car. I'm going to give you $100 and, or whatever. It's more than that, right? Who cares? Uh, no, she offers her $100. Is it $100? Is that it? She's so cake. rich. Yes. God, just give her your fucking hot Percocet. But so I'm going to give you this money. Come home with me and bake me a yellow cake from scratch with chocolate fudge frosting. And first of all, they they precede this with like, you got to get off the streets. Like you can't just like, you're going to become a prostitute. And I'm like, actual prostitution is probably less scary than the idea of this like scarred up woman being like, come to my home and bake a cake from scratch and maybe I'll give you a hundred dollars. And it's like, this is, this is how people end up in indentured servitude and and you know this third act reveal or like this third act like turn of events i should say is like the perfect like quintessential distillation of how every beat of this movie turns basically on a character saying you know what sure yes like like everybody in this movie yep. like is proposed with something absurd and they're like yeah fine down to like, the pharmacist in tijuana who was like i shouldn't give you these pills you're clearly going to get caught at the border and she's but like, like but how about you give them to me and he's like yeah why not and it's there in the Silvana character who like everything is like i have family i have kids i have a life and she's like but you could do this for me and she's like yeah fine you're right <laughs> you're fully right like that is how that's how Christmasina comes by and like, like she's like, could you sales are out of jail? I'm like, could you like, like sleep over? I don't want to have sex with you. I just want to have somebody else in the room. And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, fine. And I'm like, do you not have a new girlfriend or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening here? Yeah. Ugh, Guys, Cake movie. is bad. If you want to watch bad. a better movie about chronic pain, just watch Gaga Five Foot Two again. <gasps> good call. Very good call. Like, Her grandmother in that movie should have been a Best Supporting Actress nominee. There I said it. <laughs> I the best scene of that movie. so important to you. The best scene Doesn't of that she movie. she literally say that? She does. Well, she also was just like, it happened a long time ago, honey. And I was like, yes. So we'll just play it. And then if you get upset, we don't have to talk about it. We'll, you know? It's okay. We can just... Honey, it's been a long time. I know. I know. I just want to be... It's been over 40 years. I know. So... I know. I just want to be sensitive. That scene... Because Gaga's trying to get her to cry because Gaga is always producing. And, like, doesn't make her a bad person, but, like, that's how she's living her life, which is everything's a moment, and she knows that they're filming this documentary and for this documentary she needs the moment where she plays the song joanne for her grandmother and her grandmother is going to have an emotional moment with her and her grandmother knows this this is the the true gag is that her grandma knows that that's what she wants and she's a stubborn old lady but she loves her granddaughter (laughs) so she's gonna like have this moment and she's going to appreciate the song but she's gonna be damned if she's gonna cry for you know on camera of no you know no less and she's you know she sort of has this moment where she's just like you know 
we all cried. We all had our moments. She's just like, I, and she does say, she's like, I don't know why this means so much to you. You were X, you know, years old or wasn't even maybe born yet. You weren't even born. Wasn't yeah. even born yet when Joanne was alive um, and died of lupus. And it's more of like a conversation for her father because it's like her father was really affected in a way. Right. That but again, my favorite thing is that you can tell how much the grandmother still loves her, you know, granddaughter Stephanie and she's going to be there for this moment and she's you know very proud of her and whatever but she's also at that moment holding her own line and she is just not going to give her everything she wants she is not going to give her that moment where she breaks down crying and i'm just like this is riveting riveting filmmaking and this is Chekhov. yes honest to god yes that's what makes Gaga Five Foot Two so compelling, and there's a lot of that. And that we're, there's a lot of interest in. It's in the scene where she, you know, takes her top off poolside to have a marketing meeting, <laughs> which <laughs> is so. But that's again, that's her in control, and everybody in her orbit fully conformed to her for that moment. And her grandmother refusing to cry is the one moment where somebody in her life has enough standing. To just very quietly, but very firmly, be like, nope, not happening. And Gaga just has to take it, because she doesn't have any recourse to be like, what if you cried? But, like, she keeps trying. She, like, she keeps trying to, like, short of, like, plucking the little tiny eyelashes out of her grandmother's eye. Like, she does everything she can to get this old bird to, to shed some tears, and she won't do it. And it is great. Reminds me of the scene in Cake where Anna Kendrick, like, looks fondly at, you know, Jennifer Aniston in, like, golden light and lightly touches her face and says, girl, where do you think you're going? Where do you think you're going? Stop. Girl. Stop it! Yeah. It's a good song. Joanne, it's a good song. I should have gotten an Oscar nomination. <laughs> For best actress. Not eli- the not eligible Joanne. Yes. Yeah, that's Cake. I don't know. I have nothing else to say about it. It's not a good movie. It was a descent into madness for me. It was it this movie maybe broke me. Yeah. I do want it to happen for Jennifer Aniston at some point. Yes, I would like to qualify because like at the time when I was like, guys, I don't know about this movie and I don't know about her getting nominated, people were like, You just don't like Jennifer Aniston. Could not I be like luster. Jennifer Aniston just fine. Yeah. It has nothing to do with why this movie is bad. I would like a year where the five best actress nominees are Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Garner, Jennifer Lopez. Help me out. Jennifer Goodwin. Oh. And Jenny Slate. That's the five. Wow. That's my that's my lineup. Somehow, universe, I need you to make this happen for me. Jennifer Lopez wins. Jennifer Lopez, I was just about to say that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Jennifer Lopez does win. You're right. She should, among that five, she should win. All right, universe. I've given and then, like in the future, we can say Jennifer Goodwin was robbed. I've given you all the uh, the finish line. Now, just build back from that. Reverse engineer for that to happen, please. That sounds great. That's it. That's the end. Uh, <laughs> we should do the IMDb game and then get out of here. Yes. Okay. So, would you like to go first? Would you like me to go first? Uh, sure. Why don't I explain? The IMDb game is a game we play every week where we pick an actor or actress and we challenge the other person to guess what are the four movies that show up when you look them up on IMDb and it says known for and it gives you the four movies. If any of those movies is either a television show or a animated film where they're giving voiceover 
uh, voice performance, we will tell that other person. We tend to, if we see that uh, we look it up and all four of their movies are, let's say, Avengers movies, we just won't do that person because the Avengers makes it all boring. After two incorrect guesses, we give a hint in the form of the year for all the movies that we haven't gotten yet. And after a third incorrect guess, then it just becomes a thunderdome of hints. So I will give you my pick. We haven't didn't really address director Daniel Barnes's um, full filmography. He meant, I mentioned Won't Back Down in 2012, Beastly in 2011, but he also made a movie in 2008, which I'd never heard of heard of before, called Phoebe in Wonderland, which is about with Elle Fanning. With Elle Fanning, who she plays a girl with Tourette's, who is in a uh, a class play or musical or something where the director is Patricia Clarkson who like gives her the confidence to be it's funny to watch the trailer because they never mention Tourette's in the trailer they just mention that she's like different and she should be free to be you know very different and uh, whatever whatever whatever. I want to see it now that I've seen that Patricia Clarkson is in it and also I'm sure it's terrible but I want you to do the IMDb game for Al Fanning I will give you a. All right. I will tell you one of them is a voice performance. Oh, okay. Um, that's probably gonna be me. I bet that's gonna be hard. Um, uh, Super Eight. Yes, correct. Neon Demon. Yes, I would not have guessed that. Um, see, Neon it, Nick Reffin showed up for Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, the fanboys like him. Yeah. Um. Maleficent. Yes. Probably so the pro- voiceover one is the one that's left. Yeah. Maleficent probably the the top box office movie of Elle Fanning's career, I would imagine. Probably, but also she showed up for Angelina Jolie. If she's showing up for Angelina Jolie, it's going to show up for Elle Fanning. Um you are really like you are you're gaming this correctly. I like that. Uh, okay. It is it is the so... biggest hit of Elle Fanning's career by like double the previous one which is curious case of benjamin button and then super eight both at 127 plus million the difficult thing about guessing l fanning for voiceover work is that like we talked about her on door in the floor when she was like what four years old so she's had a whole career of kids movies that it could possibly be um and i i haven't gotten it i should have like just thrown out something like how to Talk to Girls at Parties, which she's in this year, and that movie is wonderful. Um, just to like be able to get some clues, because I am at a loss here. You can um, you can burn a couple and just be like, give you a clue, and then you'd ha- you still only just have pretend to be animated. Um, yeah, then you'd just have one guess to get it right. I've done that. Wasn't she in Trumbo? That's basically an animated movie. <laughs> Trumbo. Yeah. No. All right. So the year that you are missing is 2014. Interestingly enough, the same year of Cake. Mm, it feels like a cheat to ask if it was nominated for animated feature. Um, it, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that. I will say, because I don't think this gives you any hints, the f- number five and six movies on Al Fanning's top box office list are both animated voice performances, and they are the only two in her top 24. Yeah, maybe she's just one of those people that seems like they would be... Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Okay, um, is it... Is it, is it Ghibli? Is it a Ghibli movie? Do I mean to tell you? Yes. No. Is it Studio Ghibli? It's not. Okay. That it is a studio. Hopefully... It is a studio that is that if I you know, 
that is it a how to train your dragon movie no is she one of those no okay. it's more um, of a boutique animated it's one of those it's one of those is it Ardman or Leica it's Leica is it I'm now officially giving you way trolls. too many clues for this to be correct it is, I know I know I know it is the box trolls I love the box I trolls. love the box trolls I think that was my number one animated movie of that year it's so cute also she's doing uh I'd have to look at the year but I really do like she's doing an English accent so in that movie and I as I always do when I'm watching an animated movie I'm trying to guess who the voices are as I'm like taking in the movie and I fully guessed that that was Al Fanning doing a British accent. She does a lot of British accents, though. She does, but I was so well, fine. Well, I was going to say I was so proud of myself, but apparently, well, I'm she does so always. many British accents that I'm either way. Either okay. way. <laughs> <laughs> Other impressive things I have made canon that Cake is in the Crash Extended Cinematic Universe oh, of Hell, no. and that. Jennifer Aniston is essentially playing a standalone vehicle for Sandra Bullock's character. This is canon. Get used to it. Your IMDb game is Sandra Bullock. Okay. This is going to make me mad because I think there are going to be movies that I think should be in here that are not. And it's going to annoy me. I'm going to say The Blind Side. Nope. I can't be mad that The Blind Side's not there, but it's still shocking. No. The Proposal? Yes. Okay. I knew I knew that would be I thought it would be the both of them. There's another connection here No, 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 not for the answer, but it's in regards to the proposal. I'll mention it after okay. you're done. Practical magic. No. That's, that's two wrong answers, shocking. so I'm giving you years. Give me years. Uh 2000, 2013 and 1994. Well, 1994 is speed. Yes, it's speed, which, not while you were sleeping, which is amazing. 95 is stress sleeping. Yes. Every day of my life. Um, I definitely thought Speed wasn't going to be on there, and I was going to be pissed. While yeah, you were sleeping, not being on there all, is already angry-making angry enough. What are the other two years? 2013 and 2000. 2013 is Gravity. Yes, it's Gravity. And 2000... 2000 for Sandra Bullock is sort of in a middle... middle ground year, right? We're like... Is it, though... I don't know. You are not going to stand by this argument. Okay. <laughs> after you know what the movie is. I guess 2000. What was she doing in 2000? Like, this would have been too early for, like, your Yaya sisterhoods. Hope Floats, I don't think, was that year. Forces of Nature, I don't think, was that year. Two thousand. Sandy. Oh, two weeks notice. No, that nope. was O2. Well, I got it wrong, but what is it? Are you ready to be really mad? Yeah. It's Miss Congeniality. Oh. Those movies exist sort of outside of space and time for me. You're right, though. That's very strange. I can't believe you wouldn't have guessed Lucy Gray Freebush, or whatever it is. Gracie Lou Freebush? Gracie Lou Freebush. Lucy Gray. All, the same. all right. Lucy Gray. <laughs> Lucy Gray starring uh, 1998 Kate Blanchett. I will say um, I'm not quite the miscongeniality gay that a lot of other people are. I still very much appreciate what she does in that movie. But I've only maybe seen that movie once. 
I have oh I will always associate that movie with football because I saw it with my mom the day of the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh wow. We're like we're not watching the fucking Super Bowl. That's <laughs> we're going adorable. To this lady movie. Um okay, so the proposal directed by Ann Fletcher and Fletcher is also directing one of this season's like like one of my like Oscar things that make me so happy that I'm just like, oh my God, I kinda hope that this happens. Um, have you watched Dolly Parton like campaigning for this song she wrote for this movie Dumplin? No. <laughs> that movie is also directed by Ann Fletcher and stars Jennifer Aniston. It will be on Netflix December seventh. I am so excited for this movie with a Dolly Parton song and it's called Dumplin. That's funny because Anne Fletcher, I was going through like Aniston's upcoming movies and Anne Fletcher was originally attached or at some point attached to direct this Adam Sandler movie that Jennifer Aniston is making. This Netflix Adam Sandler movie, although it's not an Adam Sandler movie, if you know what I mean. Like it's a movie with her and Adam Sandler, but it's not like one of his like directed by his bros movie. Yeah. But it's this movie called Murder Mystery, and it's Sandler and Aniston and like Gemma Arterton and Luke Evans or whatever coming next year to a Netflix near you, written by James Vanderbilt, which is interesting. The writer. Get ready, of... we're about to have another one of those. Adam Sandler has range years because he's also do- also doing a Softies Brother movie. Ugh, I can't take the Softies. Softie although brother. I can only I can only can't talk this up snicker with you so far because I was one of the people last year saying he should have been nominated for the Meyerowitz stories. So, I but know, I agree with you. Two of us. Um, but yeah, watch Dumplin' root for Dolly Parton Dumplin'. this year. Her like social media Oscar campaign is wonderful. Is it an animated that song's movie? It's actually pretty good. No, it's not. It also stars um I'm going to look up her name so that I'm not being rude. Danielle McDonald, who was Patty Cakes last year. Oh, all right. I'm looking at the poster now. It legitimately looks like the poster for Hello, Dolly, which is funny because Dolly's involved in this. Like, Danielle McDonald is fully dressed up as, like, Dolly Levi taking a bow. And, like, Aniston is there off to the side in a pageant sash. What is going on with this movie? I know. That's why we need to be excited for Dumplin'. And it's coming out soon. Wild on Netflix and select theaters December seventh. <laughs> I love that, like because of Roma, it's all the like story of like Netflix is going to be in theaters for real this time, which is not. Uh, we'll see. Um, but like Dumplin is like a footnote of it. Like nobody's mentioning Dumplin. Dumplin, yes. Get on a plane. We'll oh go God. see Dumplin together. Yes. All right. That's all. All right, and that is our episode. Um, if you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, tell our wonderful listeners where they can find you and your stuff. So many places, so many ways. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. You can find me on Letterbox, spelled the exact same way. Um, and then I'm on Decider.com every day, every day and night, talking about film and television and everything that is on streaming. 
And girl, where do I think I'm going? I'm going to Twitter <laughs> to follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Also, Letterbox, same name there. Um, you can also find me on the filmexperience.net talking about soundtracks, Oscars, reviewing movies, that type of cool thing. Um, we'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review is super appreciated. We just passed 200 reviews on iTunes, um, and that helps us become more visible. Please make us everybody's imaginary friends and not just your own floating on just an inflatable in your pool. Put us in every pool. But that's all for this week. We hope you could come back next week for more buzz. Hey, Chris. Hey. Cake my hand. Stay, Joanne. Jesus Christ. That's what Benny for cake. Now I just want to rewrite all of the lyrics to Joanne, but for cake. <laughs> I cannot I believe that I brought that up and you didn't. Do you want me to stop recording or are we still recording? Oh, well, I mean, whatever. I'll, I'm, let's, we're not going to end up using this. So stop. Yeah. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's no lie. That's no lie.